1: Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. So many people in our society are coming down with diabetes. I mean, it's. I mean, I've heard estimates that in the future, care for this disease alone can bankrupt us. And once we get to this disease, so we've got so many metabolic difficulties that just about every other disease that we can imagine can follow. I mean, heart disease, you've got an increased risk for heart disease, you've got an increased risk for Alzheimer's. So this is a very important disease that is becoming very prevalent. So today we're going to be talking about diabetes with an expert who's going to tell us how we can help prevent it and uh, improve it. You know, and she's written a book. With us, we have Dr. Mona Morstein, and her book is called Master Your Diabetes, a Comprehensive Integrative Approach for Both Type 1 and Type 2 Diabetes. Dr. Mona Morstein is a naturopathic physician with a a medical practice focused on integrative diabetes treatment. Her clinic, Arizona Integrative Medical Solutions, is located in Tempe, Arizona, where she sees patients of all ages and all genders for acute and chronic conditions. An expert on prediabetes and diabetes, she's a frequent lecturer at conferences and webinars. She's the founder and executive director of the Low-Carb Diabetes Association She's also a member of the Arizona Diabetes Coalition, <clears throat> and we will hear more from her now. Welcome, Dr. Morstein. Uh,
2: thank you. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate the invite. Well, first of all,
1: let's educate our listeners. Uh, what exactly is a naturopathic physician? Uh,
2: it's a, uh, a naturopathic physician is, in general, a primary care practitioner, general practitioner, um, that does what conventional care people can do, such as physical exams and labs and imaging studies, and can and many states can prescribe medications, but the focus is on trying to really cure people of their conditions and Find the obstacle to cures as we call them, the things that are making them sick, remove those, and then gently stimulate the body to heal and so that 's our primary focus in how we 're working with patients
1: so you're using the oh, you 're using the body 's own uh, mending mechanisms and the body's desire to go toward wellness you 're using that and helping it go toward wellness
2: exactly we call it the the Latin, the vis medicatrix naturae, which is the healing power of nature. So, you know, if someone, you know, cuts their finger in the kitchen with a knife or, God forbid, breaks a leg, people know we, we have to remove the obstacle to cure, say, for the leg by putting it in a cast. And then the body's own ability can heal that bone. But people forget or have lost the understanding that they can heal their psoriasis. They can heal their... They can heal their asthma. They can, you know, they can get rid of these chronic conditions, their high blood pressure. And, you know, and with diabetes, we can certainly help reverse type 2 diabetes, put it into at least remission. And we can certainly at least help really control type 1 diabetes.
1: That's very exciting.
2: So, how do
1: naturopaths differ from ordinary? physicians, general
2: practitioners? I think with general practitioners, um, their, mo- you know, their main paradigm uh, as they've been educated is pretty much using uh, medications and surgery as the main focus of their treatments in patients and, uh, and not in terms of acute disease. But in terms of chronic disease, using medications is palliative, which may enhance a person's life, um, but it doesn't. But, you know, they also come with a lot of side effects and problems, and and nobody is, you know, I mean, you may be well-managed on asthma with your inhalers, but you still have the asthma, right? So uh, naturopathic medicine is always searching for the ways to help the patient heal and not have that condition that they're presenting with.
1: And how does the training for a naturopath differ from that of a general practitioner?
2: Uh, Well, a naturopathic physician, you have your, your, uh, you don't have to go to just regular college, get your undergraduate degree, and then there's four-year medical schools, uh, where the medicine is taught. Uh, they have, um, there are some um, residency programs. And then, of course, you have to take your board exams and get licensed and maintain your continuing education every year. Uh, so it's um, a, a very similar in, in many ways. So you we have, have the same, l- we have so have the same training on- but more. Yeah, we have the same, we have to learn the same medicine and, say, the same medications and the same physical. We have to learn all the same of conventional care. But on top of that, we have to learn how to use nutrition, botanical medicine, Chinese medicine, hydrotherapy, homeopathy, other healing modalities uh, that we're going to really be mostly focusing on with our patients. As best we can, to the safety and efficacy of the treatments with that patient. Sounds fantastic. So, what got you interested
1: in the area of diabetes?
2: Well, um, what got me interested uh, in the area of diabetes was um, my very first patient, who was a, a type two diabetic patient, who and. I was in a very acute phase, and I realized I um, didn't know, you know, the depth of knowledge of treating him and his disease, and it was a real commitment for me to gain uh, that knowledge. I actually wound up calling Dr. Richard Bernstein, who wrote a book, um, Dr. Bernstein's Diabetes Solution, very amazingly well-known and respected diabetologist, and I worked with him in his clinic for a little and then came back and really devoted myself to developing an expertise in diabetes in my own practice and also in my own way using integrative care uh, to uh, you know, really synergistically help patients with diabetes. Uh, you know, Doctor Bernstein, such a master with the, he introduced the low carb, uh, the low carb idea for diabetic patients, and also an innovative way of dosing insulin. And I was so grateful for him to learning that. But then. With naturopathic medicine, there's, a, you know, we, we can do other things like supplementation and working on stress management, and we know more about healing the gut and the microbiome and environmental toxicity. Environmental toxins really scientifically seem to be one of the leading causes of obesity and diabetes. Um, in our country and around the world. So this is what I wanted to put into the book that I was writing, Master Your Diabetes, all these other ways that we have to really address people comprehensively to heal their bodies and get their diabetes under really good control.
1: That sounds fascinating. It sounds comprehensive and it sounds very good to me. So can you tell the listener what diabetes is?
2: Yeah, you know, that I would say what I usually say is if we want just a brief one-sentence definition of diabetes, it's really simply that the person has lost the metabolic capacity to process carbohydrates, whether that's because they make insulin, which takes Glucose, you know, carbohydrates break down to glucose and that's what we use for energy and it floats around our our bloodstream and insulin tells the cells, take this glucose in so that it clears out of the cells and we can use it uh, metabolically inside the cells. Well, if you have type 2 diabetes, you make insulin, at least at the beginning, but the cells aren't listening to it. So they're not taking the signals to take the glucose in. And if you have type 1 diabetes, you're not making the insulin enough uh, because of damage to the organ that produces it. And so it, it doesn't get in either. As a result, you know, this glucose is just staying around in the, in the serum and as it's going to cause damage to the body uh, in these higher numbers that it's floating around uh, in the bloodstream
1: causes damage to the brain, too. I understand each time yeah. the glucose level goes way up or way down, each time there's a little bit of brain damage that comes with it.
2: Yeah, you know, your the eyes, the kidneys, the nerves, the lining of the blood vessels, the brain, you know, I mean, these are uh, very serious end targets of high glucose damage in the body, uh, which is why people with... Now, we want to always clarify that diabetes causes no damage. It's only uncontrolled diabetes that causes damage. Right? If a person has very well controlled diabetes, their risk of developing these complications reduces significantly. But it's un- but unfortunately, many many patients in uh, at least America uh, have do not attain good control of their diabetes, and it puts these organs uh, at risk for damage over time.
1: Isn't one of the ways this happens is that the excess glucose binds with proteins and fats and various things, and sometimes you get these, uh, like these glycosylated end products that you know, really cause a lot of havoc in the system?
2: Yeah, that actually is. There are several ways that um, oxidative damage can be occurring in the body. And the uh, advanced glycosylated end products, which is exactly what you said, glucose binding to proteins and disforming their figures, uh, therefore causing oxidative damage in the body, yeah, that is one of the main aspects of diabetes. In fact, that's why our main monitoring tool, which is the hemoglobin A1C, we're actually measuring. The A1C is a little protein that sticks on a red blood, sticks out of a red blood cell, you know, and we're actually measuring how much glucose is sticking to those proteins. So it's that's you know, so we know that's happening in the body.
1: So, for the audience, what are some of the symptoms of diabetes and when should you suspect that you might want to get this checked?
2: Well, I mean, for type 1, of course, um, in kids or adults, it's obviously generally, you know, being very hungry and eating and getting very thirsty and urinating. When you don't make your, when you don't make, insulin and the blood sugar is high, the only way the body can get rid of it really is through urinating it out. And since it's your food and it never got into your cells uh, and the body can't use those calories, it starts burning fat. And so, you know, we have people losing weight. And this is an acute situation. Uh, Most parents or adults will notice it um, that's for type 1 for, you know, so that's kind of the classic presentation. But type 2, which is really 95, 90 to 95% of people with diabetes have type 2 diabetes. This is generally, we have people that have abdominal fat, what we call that beer belly, whether it's in a man or a woman. But diabetes uh, type 2 comes from that abdominal fat. And uh, so we generally see that body type. Now, there are lean type 2 people as well. So sometimes people are lean um, with a family history of diabetes. And they still develop it, but mostly we get this tummy, and then you know people oh, they're not gonna have energy and they're not gonna feel good and but you know symptom wise they're you know they may start noticing they have a yeast infection or they have athletes for their growing yeast, they get thrush. Their wounds don't heal well, if, um, or a wound easily gets infected. They get sick, they can't get over the infection well, because uh, your immune system is really underperforming when the blood sugars are high. So I mean, these are symptoms that people may have, but really, nowadays, if we see someone with that kind of overweight tummy, a uh, blood draw, you know, is going to help diagnose it pretty handily in, in, in modern medicine.
1: And other symptoms, I believe, when the sugar levels get high, you can get blurred vision, sore muscles, being thirsty a lot. Yeah, I mean, you can get
2: cranky. There's a lot of mood changes. If your blood sugars are high or low, yes, the eyes can be affected, and blurred vision is, uh, uh, is one of those signs. But, you know, a fasting diabetic, the blood sugar has to be 126 or above. And if it's 140, you know, they pro- you're not going to get that blurred vision unless it's really over 200, 250, those kind of levels. Uh, so we can catch it a little earlier, you know, through the blood than waiting, you know, for people, as you said, to get these symptoms that they can get, but only when the numbers are getting uh, really higher than we ever want them to get.
1: And what about feeling sleepy after a meal? Is that another symptom of high blood sugar?
2: It could be. It could be another symptom. Sometimes we see that with food sensitivities or candida overgrowth in the gut. But yes, it can definitely be. Um, uh, yes, it can definitely be a sleepy-making process. It does definitely uh, affect the brain for sure. You know they have, like I said, whether sleepy or or just a lot of a lot of mood changing, a lot of irritability uh, goes with having blood sugars that are not well regulated.
1: And another risk for diabetes is uh, some. You've got a very you've got an increased risk for cardiovascular disease and dementia. But these risks might be increased long before the doctor will notice it in his laboratory test. I mean, uh, there's other ways to detect it such so well, as getting yeah, a sugar level off,
2: after a meal, etc. You know, it is sad that a lot of patients have pre-diabetes. If we have 29 or 30 million people with diabetes, we have about 87, 89 people with pre-diabetes. I mean, the state of our country right now is almost that one out of every three people are either a pre-diabetic or a diabetic. Now, So the A1C, if we look at the A1C, there are studies showing if the A1C is over 5.5, then you are having damage to the body. However, you're not called a diabetic patient until your A1C gets to 6.6, or excuse me, 6.5. And Now, uh you're not even considered pre-diabetic until your A1C is 5.7, when we already know through science that damage is happening above 5.5. So we have a lot of people in a pre-diabetic or, just, you know, kind of a situation already starting to develop damage, but it's not... You know, it's just, we'll wait till you're a diabetic before we get you on metformin is oftentimes what they hear from their physicians, unfortunately. Uh, but you are right. By the time a person becomes diabetic with type 2, they can already start having um Neuropathy, they can already start having, I mean, we already see oftentimes hypertension and other things showing um, that there has been substantial damage to their body through their years of pre-diabetes. So
1: you referred to the conventional treatment such as metformin, various pharmaceuticals, and at the end stage when there's no more insulin being made, insulin. So what is your approach to treating diabetes?
2: Well, you, I think that um, my approach first starts with uh, a low-carb diet, which is not unique, but um, I do believe that a low-carb diet is the best way. In fact, there have, the science is really supportive of a low-carb diet for uh, as the premier first treatment for people with diabetes. And it is amazingly effective. I mean, uh, going from a typical diet to a low-carb diet, and we can have people within a week see their blood sugars drop from, you know, 300 to 140. It's pretty amazing. But on top of that, right, in my nonprofit, we have uh, what we call the eight essentials. And the eight essentials are the ways we have to look at people with diabetes. One is through a low-carb, whole foods diet. One is giving, getting them exercising in ways that are most effective for uh, weight loss and heart, um, heart toning. Uh, also, we do then looking at their sleep, uh, looking at stress management, looking at their gut and their microbiome, the, ben- the bacteria in their intestines, and then doing some environmental detoxification, and then I add in supplementation, and then the last essential is medication, right? There's certainly nothing the matter with a type 1 diabetic patient needing insulin. Um, it's just like a person with low thyroid needing thyroid. But the thing is, we've, if you're on a low-carb diet, you need so much less insulin, and you're it's so better tightly regulated your blood sugars you're not going up and down and up and down and up and down you're just level you know throughout the day so you feel good and have good energy and it really works for patients they you know so these are the ways that we're uh, looking at patients on a, on a more comprehensive level with diabetes
1: so on your diet, you mentioned low carb. What other? I'm assuming you would recommend organic and grass fed meats, etc. What other things do you recommend, or rec- or recommend that we
2: avoid? Uh, on a, well, sure. You know, on a low carb. Well, it is kind of a low carb whole foods diet. A lot of, you know, the thing with low carb is that you are the when you're educating a person on on diet. Um, it, you are the focus to make positive changes is to, yes, pull out what they can't eat, like, for example, grains, all right? So, obviously, you cannot eat grains. You can't have bread and rice and rolls and pasta from grains on a low-carb diet. However, a big focus has to be what can you eat? What can make this diet exciting, enjoyable, motivational? You know, how you know how do you make, uh, you know, almond flour bread or how do you make oopsie bread lasagna or you know try so there's different ways of working with patients when we pull one thing out, I like to spend a great deal of time teaching them what they can add in instead. I mean, no, you can't really have ice cream for dessert, but did you ever try, you know... Sugar free, sugar free avocado ice cream. It's super tasty. And so when patients start hearing that they actually can have bread and muffins and pancakes, and you know, and they can have zoodle, you know, pastas, and but maybe from shirataki noodles or zucchini, they get, it's it's nice because they feel that they can still honestly eat the diet they've been raised with, but they're just making certain little changes to keep it low carb while still having it be tasty and fit into their life the way they want the food to fit into their life yes we do certainly focus on the quality of 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 food as well as you said for meat poultry grass fed grass finished definitely organic since environmental chemicals including pesticides herbicides Are chemicals that are associated with producing insulin resistance. So the more we can clean our house of chemicals, clean our food of chemicals, uh, you know, and just nuances of which fish can you eat. I give handouts from SeaWatch.org that you know, and there's the that tell which are the best fish to eat and the environmental working groups, you know, dirty dozen and clean 15 vegetables. And you're just giving a lot of, um, it's just a lot of information in usable way, uh, you know, obviously trying to not have it be overwhelming, but just be a positive change that the patient really decides, we hope, and they usually do, to buy into and get excited about.
1: I must say, I'm very excited about some of these almond flour breads with a little coconut flour and almond flour yeah. and nut butters. They are fantastic. And uh, some of these recipes can quite be quite good. I'd also like to add that in her book, uh, there's all of these areas are covered in great detail with specific recommendations for all conditions with a lot of detail. So we're coming to a break now. So we will be back after the break.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can, too, on Falling Through the Cracks, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be.
1: Listen anywhere.
0: Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to DrSusan at OccupyHealth.com. That's DrSusan at OccupyHealth.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan and I'm speaking with Dr. Monet. Marstein. We're talking about her new book on diabetes, which is an integrative approach with a naturopathic approach, which is all encompassing of all areas of the body looking inside and helping the body go toward normalcy. So we're just talking about diet. So, you know, we've covered diet and various other programs, but we definitely want to have low carb, healthy, avoiding artificial sweeteners, uh, avoiding GMOs, avoiding anything with chemicals in it, maybe some fats in it, Uh, maybe with a little caloric restriction and intermittent fasting thrown in. But there's so many other topics we want to cover. So uh, tell us the connection with the gut and diabetes.
2: Well, it's very interesting. There are gut connections both with type 1 diabetes and certainly with type 2 diabetes. Uh, With type 1 diabetes, when they look at kids' Uh, who uh, have positive antibodies but don't clinically show diabetes, they can see that they have what's called intestinal permeability or what is colloquially known as leaky gut. And so there are ideas that this leaky gut and potentially the passage through of certain enteroviruses like cox B, for example, might, you know, could be an influencing factor that gets to the pancreas and sets up an autoimmune reaction. Uh, so that's very interesting. But with type 2, we also what we have is we have negative changes in what we call the microbiome. And as you know, the, the microbiome is the collection of the bacteria, the viruses, the archi, and the fungal species uh, in the human gut that, you know, trillions and trillions of these organisms. And healthy gut really keeps the systemic body healthy. And an unhealthy gut will definitely send through inflammatory chemicals endotoxins that actually can get into the to the cells of the systemic body and initiate insulin resistance insulin inflammatory it can also change how we process calories and make us more susceptible to gaining weight so we know that there's a lot of Uh, influence from the gut to the body uh, with type 2 diabetes as well and most of us have damaged guts because of antibiotics and as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, GMO foods, processed foods, too much sugar, too much alcohol, you know, too much uh, eating, too much eating in and of itself uh, and, and don't the, forget, the, and don't forget drugs, the antacid
1: medications. They
2: not contribute. only antacid, absolutely, but also NSAIDs. NSAIDs are one of the worst drugs for the gastrointestinal tract. And within, every time a person takes an NSAID, like an ibuprofen or a naproxen, something that they just think is this mild, over-the-counter medicine, within one half hour to about two hours, your gut becomes leaky. It totally causes inflammation and leaky gut. So these are really terrible drugs that people just kind of pop like candy every time they have a little soreness or a headache or so forth, Uh, devastatingly damaging to the gut.
1: I'd also like to add that the GMOs uh, create a leaky brain, and they also chelate with certain metals like aluminum, which they can bring right into the brain. So uh, it's it's a caveat to avoid GMOs. But also it sounds like a leaky gut can lead to inflammation, which can go anywhere in the system, oxidative Mm -hmm. stress, etc. And a leaky gut is intimately connected with the brain. But also from other speakers, we learned that a leaky gut Leads to autoimmune diseases, as uh, Dr. Morinstein has said, but you know, it can lead to antibodies against insulin itself or beta cells, the islet cells, uh, which can uh, really, um, you know, deplete your insulin. And you might go to something called diabetes 1.5, which has got antibodies and no insulin, and that's a very bad situation. So, it's very important. Uh, And there's also antibodies to other things as well, zinc transporters, et cetera. So uh, the importance of the gut cannot be overrated in uh, avoiding any disease and in particular diabetes. So what would you do to help heal the gut?
2: Well, it's a good, so what's interesting also is that a low-carb diet, by removing grains and eating a little more protein, a little more fat, can also have some negative side effects on the gut microbiome. And it can reduce bacteria that produce short-chain fatty acids, which is the food for the colon cells, and also can go uh, systemically and help the body uh, reduce inflammation and so forth. So I know, for one thing, as soon as I put a patient on a low-carb diet and am a diabetic patient and removing... I do always add in fiber powder. And of course, fiber powder is also very beneficial in removing toxins. And when we get people on a low carb diet, they're usually going to start losing weight. And since losing weight means releasing chemicals because they're stored in the fat, making sure that the liver's working well and the kidneys, but also the gut, because the liver will dump this detoxed chemicals into the gut. We've got to have good fiber there to bind them and take it out. So we're dealing with the keeping the gut microbiome healthy and aiding in detoxification at the same time. There I oftentimes might add in a probiotic uh, to help just, you know, keep the microbiome healthy or enhance it a little bit, especially in patients who have had a great deal of antibiotics. And especially they took antibiotics and they got diarrhea. They took antibiotics and they got yeast infections. I mean there was on you know, there was noticeable changes in their health as a result of negatively, as a result of the antibiotic. But It doesn't hurt to give everybody a probiotic, even, you know, every year, take a month of a probiotic or just as a daily supplement with a vitamin C or so. But uh, so we're doing that, uh, making sure that they are having good um, defecation. Uh, We're going to always be checking in and making sure that their bowels are working well if there is some other problem in the gut, if there's, do we need to do a digestive enzyme? Do we need to, uh, sometimes, you know, if a person comes to me with diabetes, but they also have um, some other condition that I associate the need to do a food sensitivity testing, uh, to, do we need to remove a food that is particularly detrimental to their body? We might need to do that. Sometimes if they have some colonic problems, gut, IBS, gas, we might do a stool analysis and see is there some specific microbiome problem, an overgrowth of yeast or a bacteria that we need to address on, you know with their diabetes treatment. So kind of just analyzing everybody individually but making sure that any red flags that are picked up in that intake that we first do with a patient, that it's um, going to then be, you know, investigated and treated.
1: Well, that's, I mean, so the gut is essential in trying to uh, help diabetes uh, to cure it and to bring it back toward normal. But you also mentioned uh, toxins, and toxins are pretty important as well. I mean, some of the toxins, I believe, can just directly lead to diabetes, and a lot of the others. such as arsenic, uh, mercury, and lead can lead to insulin resistance, and most of them can lead to inflammation and oxidative stress. So they sound like direct pathways to diabetes. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Yes, you're you're very well informed. Um, uh, Yes, arsenic in particular, um, uh, even the World Health Organization notes that arsenic can cause insulin resistance in body cells. They also have concerns about lead as well. And then a lot of um, environmental toxins, persistent organic pollutants. I mean, there are only 80,000 of those, you know, of these chemicals put into our environment every year. Uh, You know the statistic of a newborn having 200 and nearly 50 chemicals can be found in the cord blood uh, so this is um, a real problem, and so part of the environmental detox is making sure the patient understands how to prevent exposure, which is, you know, starting with their home and, uh, you know, teaching them, the, you know, using only organic exterminators, the chem- you know, making sure their home has, uh, is not full of chemicals. They're not cooking or storing food in plastic, you know, all of this stuff that they can do to be proactive, take your shoes off when you get home, and just some simple things that can be done um, to help people, you know, first start avoiding exposure to more chemicals and then working with them. Uh, through their diet and, and supplement. And like for me, when I'm starting to work with people, especially have to lose weight, uh, definitely need to get them into a sauna and make sure that they, when they work out, they wear enough clothes so that they're soaking. You know, we just need to sweat a lot as people. And people don't like to sweat, but sweat, you can have environmental chemicals and heavy metals come out through the sweat. And so the, getting people just to start embracing these new lifestyle habits can be really powerful for them.
1: So arsenic can be found in poultry and rice and and mercury can be found uh in large fish and our dental amalgams. I mean I mean the chemicals are everywhere.
2: Yeah, they 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 are. They do have um Obviously, they do add arsenic to chicken feed for whatever reason, and yes, rice, if it's uh in the water that the rice is raised on it it can be in the rice it historically was also in processed wood, but they took that out it's no longer put into processed wood, but if your you know patio is ten years old, it's got arsenic in it, you know, so um uh, or if you just like I practiced for 13 years in Montana, and there were areas where they mined arsenic, and the, so the whole land, if you grew a garden there, you know the, you know your food was going to have arsenic in it. So yeah, it's tough. Look, it's a polluted world. You know, Dr. Walter Crinian who's um, a friend of mine and an expert in environmental medicine. Um, basically says if you eat, breathe, or drink, you've got chemicals in you. So the point is to try to limit it in the ways we can control it and then ensure that we're regularly just helping our body, you know, helping our liver and helping our gut and, uh, you know, our skin and kidneys, you know, just detox this um, as best as it can. Yeah, uh, I understand
1: in your practice you would assess what the toxicity load is of each individual patient. And you also had some recommendations on how to help detox, uh, including the cruciferous vegetables like cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, sulfurous vegetables like onion and garlic, bitter foods such as radicchio, arugula, and chicory. Um and various other detox uh, protocols including milk thistle dandelion root et cetera. but how do you, you if okay you start detoxing but how do you know you're going to have proper drainage and these things will come out of your system how do you know your liver will be working enough that and you you know that that will come out rather than you just circulating it in your body
2: I think one of the, if a person is losing weight and continues to lose weight and it's going fine, I think that that's a good sign. I do Sometimes when we see patients who are losing weight and then they get to a certain level and they're plateauing, but they're not able to lose more, even though ideally they're not at any kind of medically acceptable goal, we do think then that the chemicals are backing up. Uh, and initiating that insulin resistance in their system preventing further weight loss. So some of it is is the blood sugar just coming down? Is the weight coming down? Is their energy going up? Is there, you know, are they, you know, are, you know, just you know, how are their are their bowels good? Are they drinking their water? You know, if we're just seeing the process Go very smoothly, then I think we can be assured that uh, these different areas are functioning the way they need to.
1: Okay. Well, tell us about su- the supplements you use for diabetic patients or people. Yeah, that are I definitely.
2: You know, it's 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 unfortunate to me that the American Diabetes Association it seems to be anti supplements they really don't believe that you know supplements are necessary or required which is interesting because they have a they actually sponsor sponsor a journal called diabetes care and diabetes care over the years has actually published many articles on you, on the benefits of supplements in various aspects of a diabetic patient's life. Uh, so, I, look, diabetic damage, first off, people with, what, do, what do supplements do? Well, supplements do many things. They can put back nutrients that you might be deficient in, and people with diabetes, especially if it's not been well controlled, can be low in zinc and chromium, magnesium, essential fatty acids, so forth. Um, so they can also help with appetite control. It can help with glucose balance, insulin balance, uh, mood. It can help with uh, healing up uh, diabetic complications, preventing the development of them since again, that what I was saying just a second ago is you know diabetic complications are based on oxidative. Damage to the body cells through various pathways. And so taking antioxidants has scientific efficacy for preventing and and helping to heal uh, these complications. So there are so many reasons to give supplementation to people with diabetes. Um, so I have all every single one of my patients, they'll be getting a good multiple. They'll be getting fish oil, they'll be getting fiber powder. I have a diabetes specialty, or I have a a glucose insulin, excuse me balancing specialty product um, that I put patients on called Diamond. If they were low in vitamin D, they need that. Do they need, you know, is their gut not necessarily healthy? Do we need some probiotics? You know, these are just things that people do so well on. They feel so much better so quickly. It's, um, it's just, it just works so well for patients.
1: And how do you decide which supplement to give to which patients? Because you treat the supplements very thoroughly, each supplement, the, amount, the recommended amount and what it does. thats all in her book. But how do you decide which supplement to give to which patient?
2: Well, everybody will get the multiple fish oil, fiber, and the specialty product. From then, it's analyzing each patient. I mean, if, if you come in and your vitamin D status is fantastic, okay, you don't need extra but if it 's not, if I did blood work and you 're deficient, so a lot of it is then just analyzing people individually and just helping them with any weakness that we 're picking up also if they have certain um, if, they have cert- if they have certain conditions, if they have fatty liver, or if they have um, uh, nerve damage, I might give, uh, you know, a supplement more specific for that condition, right? So if they have, uh, if we're trying to reverse some early kidney damage, I have this great tincture uh, with all kind of protective kidney herbs that I'll be giving them to take. So, you know, we have the core set up, but then everybody's analyzed individually and and uh and everything then is created a, a a comprehensive protocol just for them.
1: And you've had a lot of success in reversing diabetes type 2?
2: Well, again, I mean, in terms of reversing, I would say you know, nobody becomes an anti-type 2. If, uh, In other words, nobody gets to a stage where they were type 2. Now they're not type 2 and they can eat pizza and donuts and ice cream, and they're completely fine. But we can say, put yes, I have put people with diabetes uh, type 2 into such good control, an A1C of, you know, 5.1, and they're at a good weight, and... You know, that if they went to any other physician, say, they wouldn't even be diagnosed with uh, diabetes. Uh, so we can do, but they, if, they, if a person gets off of the, and you know, the rules and just decides to get back to eating a large plate of pasta at every dinner, it's going to come back. So we can reverse it but not eradicate it. We can put it in remission but not cure it.
1: Oh, okay, so we've discussed the diet and we've discussed um, toxins and supplementations. Uh, tell us a little bit about the other parts of your program.
2: Um, well, we do. Obviously, we are going to get into studying people's sleep. Um, if they are, if they're overweight and they are a spouse says they snore a lot, we've got to get them for a sleep study. If they have sleep apnea, it's not being treated. This will be a huge obstacle to cure for blood sugar balance, appetite control, uh, and even just decreasing the risk of heart disease or so forth. Even if they don't have sleep apnea, but they're only getting five hours of sleep a night, that's not good enough either. I mean, if we don't get enough sleep, It changes our hormones so that now we start craving more food, and we're craving carbs. And so we've got to make sure people are sleeping well to begin with, and at least six to nine hours. That will be a roadblock for us if they're not. We also have to work with their stress level and management. Being stressed, as you know, I'm sure, raises cortisol, and cortisol is a signal to the liver to produce blood sugar. So we need to have, and what's interesting about stress is that it's kind of twofold. One, life can cause stress in people if they don't know how to mental, emotionally process it in a way to maintain peace of mind, and that can affect and raise their blood sugar. But you know what? Diabetes itself can be a stress. I've gotta eat this. I have to check my blood sugars. I have to dose insulin. You know, I have to, you know, I mean this, all of just being a diabetic patient is sometimes very stressful. And so we have to make sure that, you know, dealing with their condition is happening in a positive way. As well, and then there's many different ways we can discuss um, stress and managing what works best for them, uh, and, and then of course exercise. Uh, you know, exercise is also twofold. Exercise is one: how much am I exercising? And it's two: how little can I just be sitting down? Right? So it's less sedentary lifestyle and more active, even if you're not necessarily hopping on a treadmill, maybe you're just, um, you know, when you're on your computer at home, you're just standing. Or even at work, we have a lot more works getting standing desks. There's actually a little, a company uh, lifespan makes a little, a little treadmill. You can, it's, that's portable. You can put it under a desk and just be just walking on it, you know, as you're just on your computer. So we're we're working with people to have them sit less and then uh, be a little more active and then on top of that, engage in some classic exercise.
1: So in our last two minutes, do you have any final summarizing points and how can people get a hold of you?
2: Um, well, um, just to rem- just to remind people, the book is called "Master Your Diabetes: A Comprehensive Integrative Approach to Both Type One and Type Two Diabetes." It's available for pre order now at Amazon uh, and also through my publisher, Chelsea Green Publishers. Um, I have a clinic in Tempe, Arizona at. Um, Arizona Integrative Medical Solutions. The website is kind of funny, but it's azimsolutions.com. Uh, so those are ways to um, get a hold of the book and get a hold of me if you'd like.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, It's an all-encompassing view of diabetes, and I think it's essential to look at all these factors rather than just, uh, oh, we've got a problem here, let's give a pill to minimize it. I think it's important to look at the whole body and the underlying contributing causes as she does. So I recommend that you folks go out and get this book and learn about diabetes. Do research, uh, consult with your physician, your clinician and learn what you can so you can help yourself and others and be well we got the
0: power to change the world. thank you for listening Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel here's to better health for you this week